Hello and welcome to this Multipure podcast. My name is Kenton Jones, Vice President of Marketing at Multipure. For this podcast, we're going to be discussing how climate change affects drinking water and how a change in our environment is turning into a, a lot of different crises that we are seeing around the country, around the world when it comes to our drinking water supply and a safe, reliable drinking water supply. It's been a few cases recently that have really kind of put an exclamation point on this idea. So we're going to talk about those, including kind of the deep freeze that we saw in Texas in February of 2021. So joining me today to discuss, I guess, our uh, safe water delivery system is going to be Michelle Priest, our Director of Marketing. Hello, Michelle. Hello, Kenton. And Joel Polina, our copywriter. Hello, Joel. How's it going, Ken? Going really well. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. So, you know, I think that probably what's most fresh in mind for people listening to this podcast is, of course, the deep freeze that seemingly the entire state of Texas uh, was under in February. And so I don't know if either of you want to give us a little bit of a recap on on what we saw there. Uh, well, I don't know if you mind if I step in here. Just from what I've read, uh, obviously, uh, the big thing that got the most attention about Texas is how much the, the power. The power got knocked out for most of Texas, and uh, a lot of problems stem from that because there's no power, no lights, no heat, nothing keeping things warm. Uh, water treatment plants got knocked out, but uh, concurrent with that, and not to be overshadowed by that, is the fact that because the weather was so cold, because so much of the of the water was was so much snow and so much ice, so many things were were frozen. Water supplies, pipes, municipalities, entire things were knocked offline. And these, this the estimate is over 13 million people in Texas were left either without water, without clean water, or just with disrupted water supplies in general. And it's uh, it's kind of a, a huge situation. Although they're sorting out the power, it's taking a lot longer to fix a lot of the water issues. Yeah, I think that uh, seems like the, the lasting lesson from what happened in Texas is going to be twofold. Like you mentioned, the power supply, the power grid, the deregulated power grid that they're they're living with there. And I am no expert on the subject, so I, I really cannot offer an opinion on that. But then also kind of the cascading effects of, of then what happened with their water supply, which in my opinion, seemed like more of a, I guess, a, a dire circumstance. Uh, people that I was communicating with, social media, news reports I saw, obviously the cold temperatures and keeping your body warm was very important, but it seems like that dealing with no water was the biggest challenge for a lot of people. Yeah, I agree, Kent. I have family out in Texas, and we were trying to keep in communication, but with the power out, you know, you had to, they had to use their electronics very, very sparingly because they, you know, they couldn't recharge their phones or their iPads or anything. But what they were saying is it really made them stop and think about how important water is because, mm. you know, not showering for, you know, three, four, five days was uncomfortably bad. But worrying about having water to drink was huge. I know my niece lives in an apartment in, in Houston and they gave everybody a bucket so they could go to the pool and get water to flush the toilets. But they were very clear about they shouldn't drink the water because of all the chemicals in the water. Right. And she's like, but then what water do I drink? Because, you know, what am I going to do? And it's freezing outside, so you can't actually drive to the store to buy water. So it made people really step back and think, I wish I had something for my water. So it was, you know, I think it really brought it to terms for everybody. Again, even after COVID and people were that whole water rush with COVID. So 
I think what's what stood out to me is just the stories of people just taking icicles or scooping up snow and melting this and just using that to, as drinking water because just there's no water. The pipes are, are burst or the pipes are frozen. There's nothing uh, available. And, you know, snow is not exactly, I mean, it looks nice, but it, it can't be that sanitary. It can't be that clean. <laughs> Take it, it does pick up ice. a lot of dust on the way down. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously you got to do what you got to do, but that really stood out to me is how they're just, you know, they're just scooping up snow and filling buckets and then that's either melting with fire or just waiting for it to melt and that's what they're drinking so it seemed like there were really two kind of overlying problems with water number one was the temperature and freezing pipes but then the other one that we were discussing previous to the recording here michelle was the decreased water pressure throughout the system and i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you learned with that yeah, sure, Kent. And so it's funny because my niece asked me, she goes, so I don't understand this whole thing about boiling the water. Why do I have to boil the water? Because the water pressure went down. So when I looked into it, because it was actually a very good question. So I guess when there's water going through the miles of pipes to people's homes from the municipalities, the water pressure keeps the water moving. But when there's reduced water pressure, any cracks in the pipes, which they say that there are many, any contaminant that's in the ground will come into the pipes. So it could be sewage, it could be runoff from um, from streets, it could be any number of things. And that's why they have the boil water alert, because they don't really know what could get in the water. So that's the huge issue there, is that there's miles and miles of pipes bringing water to people's homes, and there's tons of known cracks in the pipes that are letting that potentially could let cam- contaminants in. So I thought that was amazing that we all that they knew that there's all these cracks in the piping, and yet no one's done anything about it so much so that they have to issue a boil water alert. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to think that it's the actual, the, the outward pressure of, of water that's that's keeping it clean to a certain degree. It's it's one thing that you, you don't realize. And I think that that's kind of an adaptation of city water suppliers who know that they're dealing with aging infrastructure. And like you said, Michelle, all these cracks and, and problems with the pipes is that it's just cheaper to just put more pressure into the pipes than, you know, going up and digging up miles and miles of pipes to to replace, you know, the, all the, the broken fittings or broken pipes or, or whatever it might be. But uh, but that led to near catastrophe in this case with, with Texas with, with a system-wide drop-off in pressure. And I, and I think that drop-off in pressure uh, was a result of a couple of things. Number one, burst pipes on one end you know, on, on the receiving end, people's homes had burst pipes, and so they kind of had this uncontrolled water flow. Uh, but then on the other end, the water treatment plants were running out of, the power went out, and so they weren't able to pressurize the pipes as well. So so kind of a, a threat coming from both ends, you know, that this storm caused. I think it's interesting in that it, uh, I think it, it's going to be a, a really well-felt lesson by people of Texas is that you don't really think about the water infrastructure in general until you have some sort of catastrophic failure due to outside sources like this. And you realize uh, the water pipes, the water system, uh, just utilities in general are a little more vulnerable than, than a lot of us, I think, even think about, even realize, and how, yes, uh, day-to-day, it's not something anyone thinks about, but it's something where you have to think about protecting your water and then helping yourself because you can't exactly count on 
uh, uh, standard infrastructure from protecting your water uh, in general as a whole when there's something that's outside the normal bounds of operation. So let's talk a little bit about that, about outside the normal realms of operation. In this case, in Texas, it was the cold temperature, the rapid onset, I guess, of, of sub-freezing temperatures that, that created this crisis. We have seen water crises because of poor infrastructure all over the country, all over the world, really. Uh, but it's it's a result of, of different environmental inputs, I guess you could say. For example, in California over the summer, all the wildfires, which are probably going to continue, all of that burning forest creates a bunch of ash. The ash comes down and it contaminates surface water supplies, which most of California is supplied by surface water supplies. So you have a, a contamination issue there brought on by wildfires, again, brought on by a changing climate. In other parts of the country, uh, for example, Toledo, Ohio, off of uh, Lake Erie, I believe, they have a, a, a problem almost every summer of higher temperatures, raising the temperature of Lake Erie, which in turn increases the, uh, the likelihood that there's gonna be cyanotoxins, cyanobacteria in the water. Again, brought on by changing climate and, and you've got this, these mini crises popping up all over the place, threatening the quality of people's drinking water. Right. Isn't that happening in uh, Oregon and Washington as well with the cyanobacteria? Yeah, exactly. It's showing up in a, in a lot more places, uh, but Oregon uh, very recently, yes. Well, it's interesting. Just this storm alone, I know we all talk about Texas because Texas was so hugely hit, but I was kind of looking it over this, this last week before we had this talk, and I realized that in Memphis, Tennessee, Spencer, Iowa, uh, Topeka, Kansas, and even Brandon, Mississippi. They all had the similar problems, but on a much smaller scale where they lost water pressure and had to have a boil water alert. So all that in February. So it's something that's actually more widespread than we think about. Um, and people should really think about what they're doing in their home for water. So what are the, some of the other issues that you see, Joel, coming up with this? Uh, when, when we have frozen pipes and, and we have a disruption in, in water supply, what were some of the things that we saw in Texas, some of the uh, some of the more specific issues they ran into? So many. I mean, obviously, drinking water is, is obviously the highest priorities. You can't get a clean drinking water, not guaranteed a good a clean drinking water source. Uh, you know, people result resulting in a, trying to melt things down or trying to find bottled water. Of course, when there's this much freeze, you can't even get to, to the story. The infrastructure in general is, it tends to collapse a little bit. But beyond that, the biggest thing is cleanliness. And especially when, when we're still in the middle of a pandemic, that's huge. There's no water for showers, no water for baths, no water for flushing toilets. I think uh, there was an article that said in hospitals in Houston and Austin, they had to try to get trucks full of water just to flush the toilets, which is horrifying. And... Uh, amazing. And and so if there's not even water to flush toilets, how are they going to wash their hands? How are you going to keep clean when you can't bathe, you can't shower, you can't flush, you can't clean yourself? And it just sounds like it's 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 a problem that's just going to, uh, you know, snowball, ha, snowball, uh, <laughs> the snow is going to cause the problem to to build up where, where now you have people in close proximity that are getting dirtier and dirtier. There's no clean drinking water, no clean people. It just, it, it's a formula for disaster. Yeah, which we saw uh, pretty acutely here in Texas. 
you know, these water emergencies like we were talking about seem to be coming up more and more often. And here's something I'm not sure if you guys knew, uh, and, but maybe ran into it while you were preparing for this podcast. But this was something I learned is that the EPA under the Safe Drinking Water Act uh, requires all states to have an emergency water plan, to have an emergency drinking water plan. And it's supposed to be reviewed by the EPA every year. I was reading this great blog um, by an attorney with the uh, National Resources Defense Council, the NRDC, a guy named Aaron Colangelo. And so he was just commenting on how how states' emergency water plans have, have by and large been kind of neglected. They've been supposed to be doing this since the, the mid-70s when the Safe Drinking Water Act came out. Uh, and so they're supposed to submit a plan. I think it's annually that EPA is supposed to review annually of everybody's emergency water plan. And uh, this seems to be something that has kind of fallen by the wayside. Uh, there, either some states aren't submitting their plan or the EPA isn't quite holding them to a high enough standard. But it surprised me that that every state has to have this plan in place. And I've never really heard about it before. Have either of you heard of this? I have not, no. Sounds like a good idea though, doesn't it? Yeah, in hindsight it does. <laughs> Something should have been planned on, right? You know, but I think that's I think that's true with a lot of different things. There's a lot of good plans out there, but putting them into motion is is a different thing. And with big governments or uh, big entities, somehow things get bottlenecked or backlogged, put to the side, and you really can't depend on them to take care of all that for you. So there's great things like the Aqualux system, I guess, right? So that we can protect our water. How's that for a transition? <laughs> I, I, you know, I saw that I saw that coming a mile away, Michelle. That was great. Very nice segue. Thank but, you. But, you know, you should totally couple that with the uh, the wet system, water emergency treatment system. I mean, you could just take that, take that pool water or take that snow and just throw it in there and melt it down and, and treat it with that. I mean, it's there for emergencies. Yeah, yeah I, I think that that's a great message is that uh, as good as the plans are, we need to do our best to take measure to protect ourselves, right? And to and to kind of be independent on this and to be self-sufficient when it comes to a safe drinking water supply. And, and you both had great, you know, great suggestions right there, Michelle. The the Aqualux, with its ability to take out. Uh, threats, biological threats, things like bacteria and virus. So if you are in a boil water alert, whether it's as a result of a deep freeze or whether it's a result of just aging infrastructure or whatever it might be, that your drinking water is going to be safe to drink. And then Joel, you had a, a great suggestion there, the water emergency treatment system, the wet system, uh, which can be used in, in cases like in Texas where they didn't have water pressure. But if you have a bucket full of water, guess what? You can filter it. You can make it clean with the water emergency treatment system. Very true. All here at Multipure, right? All On our website. <laughs> so it's a it's a good thing to consider for yourself. It's a good thing to talk to your potential customers about. Hey, listen, this was a wake up call. We need to be a little bit better prepared. Listen, the, the whole system needs to be better prepared, but we as individuals, we can take steps immediately. I mean, a, a, a big comprehensive municipal plan that could take years to implement, right? But if you just decide, hey, I need a water emergency treatment kit, 
Well, you can get that in a couple of days from Multipure. That's not going to be held up in committee or red tape or <laughs> political wrangling to buy yourself a wet system. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the thing to me, you know, when people ask me what system that they should get, you know, theoretically, the we have, all of our systems are amazing. What you want to get the best system, which I think is Aqualus, because you never know when something like this could happen, you know, and it can. I mean, obviously, it happened all over the place just recently from what weather, how, you know, how crazy is that? So when you have the best system, you know your family's protected. And you don't have to worry about it. And the thing that always amazes me, too, is people will say, oh, yeah, I got a bottle of water, a boil water alert today. But you were drinking that water for how long before yeah. you got that bottled water, boil water alert, right? Yeah. So this way, if you had like an Aqualux, you'd be good to go from, you don't have to worry about it always. But yeah, there's that lag there. Don't drink the water. Boil it. Oh, okay. But like five seconds ago, I was good to go. Yeah. So. <laughs> it doesn't move that quickly. You're right. Nothing is fast, but. Taking charge of your own life, I think, is hugely important. Yeah, I think yeah. the key is just, um, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, go ahead, Joel. Oh, I think the key is just be prepared before this happens. If you have this stuff already, then when, when the boil water notice comes over or, or something where they say, oh, there's a, a leak, you got to watch out for your water, you're like, I have, I have no problem. I already have something in place. I'm, I'm good. My family's good. You know, the rest of you take care of yourselves. But I, I know I have my household covered. Or even if you're so inclined, you can actually uh, help your neighbors out in a pinch as well, right? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's actually probably better. <laughs> you could be a good neighbor because, you know, maybe uh, maybe next week it's going to be electricity and they have a generator and you don't. So, uh, you know, swap some, swap some uh, water for some power or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but definitely good to be uh, to be prepared. So I, I think we've, we've kind of covered what we set out to do here, uh, talking about how, you know, a lot of these changes, sometimes it's changes in environment, sometimes it's just age of the infrastructure, but I think that we're going to see a lot more water emergencies because I just don't see the investment in the infrastructure. Uh, so the bottom line is, the lesson is, be prepared right to take take steps yourself be prepared whether it's the system that you're using day to day like the aqualux or whether it's something that you have on the on the closet shelf uh with a with a wet system uh but have some form of preparedness set in place very true i, th I think you'll be really happy once you have that so, you know there's enough things in life to worry about right now that that would just take one big worry out of your mind knowing that your water is always going to be the best Exactly. Well, uh, any closing thoughts here, uh, Joel? As I said, it's better to be prepared than have to try to respond to an emergency after it happens. Exactly. Exactly. Better be uh, better be prepared. Uh, Michelle? I get nothing other than I think people should get an Aqualux, and that way they have the best water possible. And, you know, because you never know what's going to happen. I think it's a great system to have, and I really believe in personal responsibility, and I think that goes right in line with this whole talk. Very good. Well, uh, good closing thoughts, everybody. So good, in fact, that I have nothing to add myself. So uh, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us for today's podcast, talking about uh, changing climate, changing environments, aging infrastructure, and how that is affecting our water supply more specifically what we saw in the state of Texas with the deep freeze. So I want to thank my uh, my co-hosts here, Joel Polina. Thank you, Joel. Thank you. And Michelle Priest. Thank you, Michelle. 
Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm Kenton Jones, and we will be back next time. And just remember, Multipure is for life for you.